got a message for you that I believe is really going to be transforming. Uh, but I'm going to start off with uh, just saying this. This week, I started into a message. I wrote the entire message, and I'm super, super stoked about it, and I'm excited to preach it today, and it was called Resurrected. You know, perfect for today, right? And right around towards the end of the week, the Lord says, not for this weekend. I said, what do you mean? I've been pouring my heart into this. I've been following your lead on this. What, what are you doing? And he said, next weekend. That's for next weekend. How many know Jesus likes to stretch you sometimes? You know, when you're right to the end, it's like, okay, Sunday's here almost, and what am I going to do now? And he gave me this message, and he said, I need you to build a foundation because I want them to understand why I went to the cross. Why did I go to the cross? So I like some interaction today. Why did, why did Jesus go to the cross? Anybody just shoot out some answers. Feel free to. Why did he go to the cross? Save us from our sins. <laughs> These are all good answers. These are great. Exchange, covenant exchange. Uh, what was that other one? Freedom. Example. Yeah, great. These are all great. These are all great answers. But let me take it, let me rephrase it. What held Jesus on the cross? Love. Exactly. Now, Jesus had the ability to display his power, didn't he? In fact, at one point, he said to his disciples, when his disciples were going to fight for him, and he's like, no, put the sword away. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. He said, I could call upon 12 legions of angels, which meant thousands upon thousands of angels. So in other words, Jesus could have displayed his power just like that. He could have scared the wits out of all of us. I mean, he could have just absolutely, just like Hitler, pointed his big power gun, you know, and said, uh, either you serve me or else kind of thing. But he didn't do that, did he? I mean, you can get people out of fear, out of control to get them to follow you, a paycheck. But in their hearts, do they really want to follow you? And so he chose not to display his power, even though he is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's got infinite wisdom. He could have used his wisdom. He could have used his power. He could have done a whole bunch of things. He could have used his fame. He could have used all of these different techniques, but he chose not to. He chose to hang on the cross out of the power of his love. And so I've got a message for you because I really believe that we need to have this foundation built first before we can go into a resurrected miracle-type message of the empowerment of Christ coming for us to raise us up from the dead as well. And we'll talk about that next Sunday. But listen, this is so vitally important that you grab a hold of the reason why he hung on that cross. He didn't do it to display his power, but to display his love. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes these uh, and says that, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, he says, love never fails. In fact, one translation says it always wins. He goes on to say in verse 13 that love is the greatest gift. And then he says in chapter 14, verse 1, in the Amplified Version, he said, now make love your greatest quest. In other words, learn what love is. Because how many of you grew up with some dysfunction in your family, say I. Is that everybody? I think so, because I think we all did. I think we all grew up with some dysfunction in our families. And here's the interesting concept is that God is not pouring out his love on perfect people. He is pouring out his perfect love upon imperfect 
people and through imperfect people. God desires to show you his love. In fact, Jesus said in, first, in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. So he didn't say God loved the world. He said God so loved the world. So I think you should turn to your neighbor and say, you are so loved. You know, the interesting thing is it goes on and, and shares in the gospel accounts and, and uh, the epistles and Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, it's one thing to die for someone who is worthy of dying. You know, someone who, lay, you know, did so many great things and lived a good life, an honorable life. But to die for someone that was still in sins? Love is what compels us. Fear, people again may follow somebody initially out of fear, torment, control, a gun. But ultimately, that's not real respect, is it? Nobody wants to follow someone just because of a paycheck. They might go to the job because, you know, it's, it's how I get paid. But do they want to be there? Do they want to follow you and me is the question. You know, Amy and I have this personal goal in life. I'm going to share it. Do you all want to hear it? It's a personal goal. So our personal goal is to raise up amazing kids who want to be with us when they're older. So that means every day of my life, I have to think about what I'm saying and what am I doing. Is this going to cause them to want to be with me? Or is this going to cause them to want to run from me when they get older? Because our choices, we have to be selective in order to be effective. Are we thinking about adding value? Because that's what leadership is. Leadership is influence. Are we adding value every day to the people around us? Do the people want to follow us as Christ followers? And I think this is a personal challenge. I mean, I love this scripture. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Psalm 128, verse uh, verse 3, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Isn't that what this time of the year is all about? Isn't it great to have family members, loved ones come and celebrate with you? Wouldn't it be miserable if people didn't want to be with you? And maybe you're today here because you chased everybody away. Maybe you were controlling. Maybe you were disrespectful. Maybe you were dishonoring. Maybe you didn't add value like you could have or should have. And now people don't want to be with you. And you're getting a fresh new start today, a brand new beginning, and saying, wow, I never really thought about it. I mean, to raise up kids when they are older that they'd want to be with me. I mean, what about the friends that we have? What about the spouse that we have? What about the relationships that we have? Do we add value to them? Do they want to follow us? Because that's what Jesus did is he he taught us by example that while we're still in sins, he laid down his life. In fact, he said these words. He said, no one can take my life from me. I laid down my life for you. It was his choice. And let me tell you that love hurts. Jesus didn't hang on the cross and have all these pitter-putter moments in his heart and Holy Ghost goosebumps of feeling good when he's hanging on the cross. It hurt. Love hurts. Sometimes it costs us something, and it's not always the easiest thing to do. 
to take the high road when you feel like taking the low road and then hitting them and praying for them later to get healed. You know what I'm talking about? It's not always a cakewalk to show love. And yet Jesus taught us this by example. You know, I love my dad is here. I believe in this service as well. But my dad had these little sayings when I was growing up as a kid. He would say things like, watch your pennies, Sean, and your dollars will take care of themselves. Well, that's good, I guess. Watch your pennies and your dollars will take care of themselves. Be good stewards, in other words. And then he he would say this one. How many have heard this one? Work before play. Anybody out there, you know what, you can identify with that one. And you know what was interesting? And he actually tried to make it fun. So every Saturday, we had family cleanup day. And that meant cleaning inside the house, maybe even outside the house. And he would walk around the house, and he would say to us kids, isn't this fun? And, you know, being a little sarcastic, we're like, are you kidding me? No, I'd rather be playing. But then he would say, isn't it great to have a nice, clean home to live in? And we couldn't argue with that, right? You know, I think about myself now because now years later and I do the same thing with my own kids. Kids, isn't this fun? I mean, we're cleaning the house. Isn't it wonderful? We get to live in a clean home. But you know, the one thing I've learned, if you have to brush your teeth for the rest of your life, you might as well learn to enjoy it right now. There's some things in life that just you, you're going to have to keep doing. So you might as well learn to have the right perspective in life because life is all about perspective are we enjoying the journey or are we enduring it because when you start eating and enjoying the fruits of your behaviors and your choices in life it actually becomes a lot more enjoyable doesn't it so when you take the high road and you as a soft answer to turn away wrath isn't it great when you start seeing people's hearts soften and people start wanting to follow you not because they have to but because they want to follow you They want to be around you. I mean, they have a table. I mean, isn't that what God's looking for in Psalm 23? That he he makes a table before all the presence of our enemies. So, I mean, he wants family to come together. He loves it when we do this. He loves when his family comes together and receives a meal, a spiritual meal from heaven. He enjoys having his kids all come together. And we've got people from all different denominations that attend this church. All different backgrounds, including no church background at all. And this is what he's looking for, is that love is the greatest gift. If we want people to want to be with us, we've got to learn what love looks like. You know, I remember a story one time, about 20 years ago. There was this young college lady that was reaching out to a young college student, a male, and showing him love. And she would do everything, random acts of kindness she would show him, give him gifts and do all sorts of nice things. Uh, she would invite him to church. She would give him little tracts and her, you know, she would get these like uh, chocolates and different things like that. And they would be wrapped in a little gospel track and the chocolates. It was kind of creative what she did. But all sorts of random acts of kindness. And in addition to that, he didn't know this, but for three months, because he had grown up in a church where he knew about God, but he didn't know God personally. And so, to make a long story short, three months of intensive prayer in addition. Sometimes she would invest two to three hours a day just praying for his salvation. That he would live beyond religion and learn how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And to make him the Lord of his life, not just Savior. And so she did everything she could to inspire this young man. 
And she invited him again another time to another church service. And at that church service, he ended up making the decision to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Now, 20 plus years later, that young man pastors High Point Church. And I say that because Amy did not inspire me to want to have what she had by condemning me, criticizing me, putting me down in front of others. She continued to take the high road even when I didn't deserve it. She continued to show me honor, respect, love, kindness, even when I didn't deserve it. She followed Christ as he had taught her and how he died for her while she was still, while he, while she was still in her own sins. I mean, what does love look like, though? And we want to know what love looks like because any of us who have ever grown up with some dysfunction, we're still trying to figure this whole thing out. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we understand that when it comes to showing love, the hardest people to show love to is our family. And that's why we're challenged with that concept is Can we show the ones that are closest to us, the ones that we see their flaws and their mistakes, can we show them love? Can we add value to them? Mother Teresa once said, it's not her exact words, but I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. When she was asked about how do you create world peace, what would you recommend to bring world peace? She said these words, and again, it's not her exact words, but she said, for everyone to go home and love their families. Wow, how many kids are growing up without dads? How many kids had no mentor in their life? How many kids don't have a mother and father figure in their life to raise champions for Christ? How many of those, and if you're a single mom or a single dad and you're trying to do this on your own now, I commend you for it. Because that's not the easiest thing in the world to do, trying to play both roles as a mom and dad. But let me say this. We may not be perfect, but God will pour out his perfect love among us. And we may make mistakes. We may not be a museum for the perfect here at High Point Church. But we are a hospital for the hurting. And together we're better. Together we're stronger. And together we will go further. I have seen men in this church love children who don't have a dad. I have seen elderly men and women love the younger men and women, and teach them how to love their husbands, how to love their wives. I have seen mentors and models in this church, and I commend them for their great quality examples of being there for one another. But that's why every joint supplies, the Apostle Paul says. Kids may go where it may seem fun, but they'll always come back to where there's love. Think about it this way. I once heard that People remember about 10% of what we say, but they'll remember about 90% of how they felt in our presence. And that's why a smile is so much more valuable than just words. Jesus demonstrated his love, and he started, guess, with who? With sinners. Oh, he was open. He was available to the Pharisees. He was open to the religious leaders, but they just really didn't think that they needed him. He said, you know, A physician comes to the one who needs him. And so the Pharisees and religious leaders, they had a hard time with this whole relationship concept. And so Jesus would go to people. Do you remember the story of the woman that was in Samaria? Now, Samaritans were people that, uh, 
they were kind of considered like outcasts, like you don't have anything to do with them. Like Jews and Samaritans, like, no, you don't talk to Samaritans. Jewish people, you are to, you know, you're God's people. You don't, don't deal with those Samaritans, those sinners, those kind of people. But one day Jesus on the way, I believe he's on the way from Judea going to Galilee. And he says to his disciples, we need to stop by Samaria. I want to stop in there. I want to and they, you know, they had been with him long enough that they kind of found that Jesus, you know, he does things that are a little bit out there. And so they just kind of just tried to follow him by example. And to make a long story short, Jesus, they get almost all the way into Samaria and he stops at a well and he says, you guys go on without me. I'm going to take some time to rest here. At an odd time of the day, the hot, the heat of the day, not during rush hour, when everybody else was going to be at the well, there's a woman who comes out to the well. Why? Because she didn't, she had a reputation that wasn't very good. So she goes out to get water for herself, and Jesus says, can I have a cup too? And she's like, um, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't have any dealings with us Samaritans. Why would you ask me for a cup of water? And he said, if you would ask me, I would have given you living water. Oh, where's your bucket, she says. You know, where's your bucket at? And because and, I would like to have that living water, but you don't even have a bucket with you. Where are you going to get that living water? And he said, you, you go call your husband and, and bring him here. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, that's right. You don't have a husband. You've actually had five husbands. And the one that you're living with, he's not your hubby. And yet Jesus is having this conversation just like she's an equal. In fact, his disciples come back and they're shocked. Like, why is he talking to a Samaritan, and not to mention a Samaritan woman. Why is he having any dealings with this person? And here's the interesting concept. Jesus, she goes on to say, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. And I've been told that this is a place, you know, such and such, you know, and all. And she kind of changed the subject, but this is a place to, you know, to worship. And Jesus said, you know, it's of the Jews, you know, to worship and, and so on like that. But he said, to her when she said, well, when Christ comes, the Messiah comes, he's going to tell all this stuff. He's going to clear everything up for us. And Jesus, for the very first time, he didn't even do this with any of his disciples or anybody else. He said, I am the Messiah. He revealed his true identity to this woman, having a, a conversation like she's an equal with him. And she got so elated, she ran into town as fast as she could, and she tells everybody she possibly can and says, I believe I have met the Messiah. I believe I have met the Christ. And they believed because she said, he's told me everything I ever did. And so they come back, the whole town comes back, and they said later, they said, we believed because of your, your words, but now we believe because we've heard them for ourselves. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Another time, Jesus gives another great example of a woman who is caught in adultery. And the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders of those days, brought her in and said, and threw her down basically in front of Jesus and said, Jesus, you know, Moses said in the law that when someone breaks, you know, because she's been caught in adultery, he says, Moses says in the law that we should stone a person like this, that they're not worthy to be among us anymore. They're a sinner. What do you say, Jesus. And I love Jesus because, you know, he's a guy's guy. You know, he, I mean, he's, don't get me wrong, he loves the women because I'm telling stories about Jesus' life right now. But he gets down and he starts playing in dirt. 
Isn't that cool, guys? You know what I'm talking about? He loves to play in dirt. And I don't know what he's doing in the dirt. But in, and don't get me wrong. Again, you know, I've got a wife who likes to play in the dirt with me. She loves to go four-wheeling with me, ATVing and mud-bogging. I love that, you know? You've heard me say this, that she was born and raised on a farm. And I took her off the farm, but I couldn't get the farm out of her. I love that about her. She loves driving. She can drive trucks and tractors. She's a cool person. I mean, she is a tough girl. You know, she's... You know, small and petite, but dynamite comes with small packages. She's an amazing woman. She likes to play in the dirt with me. And Jesus is there, and they're putting pressure on him. Like, Jesus, what do you say? Do you stone her or not stone her? And Jesus finally, he raises himself up, and he says, okay, he who's without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And guess what happens? From the oldest to the youngest, they began to walk away. They realized, maybe I didn't commit adultery, but maybe I did this and I did that. They all knew they had sinned. So they all began to walk away. Jesus finally raises himself back up after playing in the dirt a little bit longer. And he says, uh, woman, where's all those accusers of, you, of yours? Are, is there nobody here to condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus understood this concept that mercy will always triumph over judgment. Love is the greatest gift. Love is what causes us to change from the inside out. And he understood that if I can access their heart and show them mercy rather than judgment, it's very possible that they'll start desiring to follow me and leave behind their old life. He understood that concept that the law was to bring us to the end of ourselves, realizing we need a sinner. But he understood that the law was not good enough in itself, even though the law in itself was good. He knew that we needed a relationship with the Creator because we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. And he understands that there's no way that you're going to break free from your past or your sins without a relationship with the creator of the universe. You need to know him today. Do you know him? You are more than conquerors through Christ who loves you. And you truly are able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it reminds us that you are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. In Psalm 139, verse 14, it says, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you in his image. But what's going on is this war on the inside of us, wanting the old ways, wanting to live this old way, but there's no way that you can be completely set free without a Savior. You need him today. We all need him today. And just to, to receive him as our Savior is not enough. You need to know him today. You need to make him the Lord of your life. That he comes in and he sets you free on the inside through his love. The Bible says that God is love. And love is what changes us from the inside out. It's what causes us to want to follow him. It's not fear. Perfect love is what fleshes out fear. Jesus continues to reveal what love looks like, and he shares a story in, in chapter, Luke shares a story about Jesus' demonstration of love in Luke chapter 19, about a man who is a tax collector, and his name was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had heard many things about Jesus, and he wanted to see Jesus, but he was of short stature, so he climbed up into a sycamore tree, the Bible says. And Jesus is walking, and people are wanting to be with Jesus. I mean, he's famous. He's a celebrity. People are wanting to hang out with Jesus. And here Jesus comes up. He sees Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, you need to, you need to come down. I want to stay with you tonight. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, couldn't believe it. He's going to stay with a sinner. He could have went and stayed with Mr. and Mrs. Do-good. 
But he didn't. He chose to go and stay with someone who is notorious for sinning and who was someone who was taking money, sometimes even that he wasn't authorized to take. He was deceitful. He was a fraud. And yet, Zacchaeus, after having an experience with Jesus, changed from the inside out. And he wanted Jesus in his life. And he became very giving and very sharing after having an encounter with Jesus. Jesus goes on to give us these parables and analogies. He wants you to understand what the Father's love is like. He says, listen, if you, if you had a hundred sheep and one goes astray, what would a good shepherd do? And he says, I'll tell you what a good shepherd will do. He would leave the 99 and you go after that one. And when he found that one that had been lost, he would put that sheep on his shoulders. He would carry it back and he would call in his family and his friends and neighbors. And he'd say, come rejoice, come and celebrate. My sheep that was lost has now been found. Was he really talking about sheep? No, the Bible goes on to say, and so it is with our heavenly father that there is greater joy in heaven over one who repents of their sins. And then he goes on and he touches the financial security bank of a female. How many know that females like financial security? And so he says, listen, there's this woman who has like 10 silver coins. And if she lost that one coin, what would she do? She would sweep the house. She would basically rip it apart, tear it apart until she found that one coin. And then you know what she would do? She would call in her family, her friends, and her neighbors and come celebrate with me. The coin that was lost has now been found. And is he talking about coins? Of course not. He's talking about people again he goes on to say and so it is with your heavenly father that there's more joy in heaven when one who had been lost had been found one who had been dead had come alive and it is more of a celebration when one repents of their sins he understands that you are his prized possession you are his greatest gift greatest asset in life you are his treasure the bible says you are his trophy and you are fearfully and wonderfully made god loves you and that's why he sent Jesus to die for you. Not to display his power, even though he wants to display his power. Don't get me wrong. He wants to display his power. But what he wants to display more than anything is love. Because in that love is where the power is to help us to overcome, to become more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Because he understands that love is the greatest gift. And inside that love is empowerment to overcome the sins. Because grace is not a license to sin. It is and empowerment to overcome your sin. Grace is not a theology. His name is Jesus. And when Jesus comes into our life, it's what changes us from the inside out. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus goes on to teach another parable for us, another story. And he says, listen, there's two boys. One of them goes to the father and says, I want my inheritance early. The father consented and said, okay. He took the inheritance. He ran off and began to live a prodigal life. In other words, a life of sin. And one day he came to the end of himself because he ran out of money and there was a severe famine. He joined himself to a citizen in that nation and he gladly would feed the pigs and eat his, the, what the pigs ate. And he came to the end of himself when he realized, what am I doing? My father has, I may not be worthy to be a son anymore, but he's got hired servants. I could go back and just ask my dad to give me a job. So he came to himself thinking, my dad's employees, my dad's servants actually eat better than I do. I'm going home. So he's walking back, and, and here the father sees him from a distance, the Bible says. In other words, he was looking for him. He was yearning for his son. And when he saw him coming from a distance, 
The Bible says he was moved with compassion and he ran. In Jewish times, it was so uncustomary. It was not a good idea for elderly. It's not the honorable thing for the elderly Jewish men to run to their kids. The customary, the honorable thing would be for the kids to run to their dad. But Jesus is painting this picture because he wants you to understand this is what the father is like. That when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. In other words, the father will run to you when he sees you take that one step forward towards him and he ran and he hugged him the bible says that he embraced him he kissed him and i'm sure he stank bad he had been feeding pigs he was on a long journey i'm sure he reeked but he kissed him he hugged him he embraced him he cried and the son immediately said dad i'm not worthy to be called your son anymore i have sinned against you i have sinned against heaven and the dad stopped him And he said to his servants, he said, go, 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 go get the best robe. Go get the signature ring, the one that has authority. Go get some new shoes for him. Bring it in. And by the way, kill the fatted cattle, the cow, because I've got a party I want to celebrate. My son who is lost has now been found. He's home safe. And so they begin to celebrate. They have this party going on. And the elderly brother who is representing the Pharisees, the religious leaders, when he heard the party, the dancing, the singing, all that stuff going on, he asked somebody, he said, what's going on? And they said, your brother who, who is gone has come home and your dad is celebrating because he's safe at home. His elderly brother just couldn't believe it. He's like, I, I can't believe my dad is doing this. His dad had to come out and say, please come in. And he said, I am not going in there. I can't believe what you're doing, Dad. And I know I'm paraphrasing this, but he said, I can't believe what you're doing. Listen, I have been with you. I have served you. I haven't broken your commandments. I have been faithful, and you've never given me a fatted calf. And, and, and by the way, I mean, you haven't given me a goat. And the dad says, son, all that I have has been yours. In other words, you could have been partying every day. You could have been celebrating. All that I have is yours. And he said, but your brother who was dead is now alive. Who was lost has now been found. And it is right to celebrate. Jesus paints these pictures of the Heavenly Father's love because he understands that love is the greatest gift. It's the greatest quality that we have. And sometimes there are these Pharisees and religious leaders of today that just think, who are they? I mean, look at them. I mean, I saw that person at, you know, coming out of a nightclub or whatever it was. And do they, I mean, what are they doing here in church? And I would rather have them here than in the bars. At the clubs, I'd rather have them here. And the reason for that is because we are a hospital for the hurting. We're not a museum for the perfect. And we know that it's his perfect love that fleshes out fear. And it's his perfect love that changes us from the inside out and compels us to want to follow Jesus. And we may make mistakes, but his perfect love will work through imperfect people. And together we'll grow stronger and get better. Together we can make a bigger difference. I love this uh, poem. It's called Heaven's Surprise. It goes like this. I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of all of it, Uh, by the lights or its decor but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp the thieves the liars the sinners the alcoholics the trash there stood the kid from second grade who swiped my lunch money twice next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice 
Herb, who I always thought was riding away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, said Jesus. They're all in shock of you. No one thought they would see you. You know, as we start to bring this to a closure, there was a woman one day, Jesus was invited by the Pharisees, the religious leaders, to come and dine with him. And so he's there having a meal. And this woman who's notorious for sinning, in fact, she was known for being a sinner. Have you ever met someone that's like notorious for a certain sin? I mean, they're like famous for it. Don't nudge the person next to you. You know what I'm talking about, though? You know, they're famous for a certain sin. And this woman, the Bible says she was a sinner and she came. And when she found out that Jesus was with the Pharisees eating a meal, she came and she fell on her knees and she began crying. And she began to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and wipe his feet with her hair. And then she took the fragrance, the oil that she had with her. And in those days, scholars say that she had that oil because of the certain lifestyle that she lived, that she needed to smell nice. And she took that oil and she anointed Jesus. She poured it out on Jesus' feet. And the Pharisees that are sitting around listening, one of them in particular thought to himself, if he knew, if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. And Jesus perceived the thought. And he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say on. He said, if there was a creditor who had two people that owed him, one owed him 500 denarii and the other one owed him 50, and he knew that the people couldn't repay him, And he decided to forgive both of them. Which one would love him more, Simon? And he said, well, I suppose the one that was forgiven more. And he said, you've rightly judged. And he said, this woman, since I came into the house, she has been washing my feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, anointing my feet with the oil, and kissing them nonstop. Simon? When I came into the house, you didn't greet me with a kiss. And in those days, it was customary to give a kiss, kind of like you, you know, still is to a certain degree with like a little child. When they come in, you might give them a kiss on the forehead. But that was customary in those days that you greet your guests with a kiss. And he said, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. In those days, you really needed to wash people's feet. They needed to have water to wash their feet. They didn't have sidewalks. And he said, Simon, you didn't anoint my head. And it was customary. It was honorable thing to do. When you had a Jewish rabbi come into your house, you should be like anointing that person, that individual, with oil. And he said, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. She who has sinned much has been forgiven of much. And he went on to say, he who is forgiven of much loves most. How much do we really, really love Jesus? Are we becoming kind of cold and kind of more Pharisee? Like when you see people, I mean, do you judge them or do you show them mercy? Because we don't know their story. Why do they act the way they do? Why are they the way they are? What's their story? Have you ever asked them their story? There is a friend of mine who pastors a, a, a great church. And he said when he was in youth group, now he pastors the church, but his dad was a senior pastor at the time. He said that 
there was an individual who oftentimes would sit on the front row, and when the worship started, this individual was not like a dignified kind of worshiper. It was one of those worshipers that his hands would go to waving and his feet would go to dancing and he would worship like you can read about like King David worshiping and he worshiped like that. And all of his friends, they would all mock him and make fun of him and you know, they would all be looking for him every Sunday. They'd all sit up in the same group, you know, together with the youth group. And, and they would be looking for him. Where is he? Where is he? And then as soon as they find him, and then the worship would kick on. And he would go to dancing and, and worshiping, waving his hands. And they'd all laugh. And they thought it was the most funny thing. And he said, I should have known my dad was going to do this one day. But one day my dad said, come on up here. I want you to share your testimony, talking to the man. And he got up there. And tears began to stream down his face. And he said, I was on the road to destruction. Alcoholism had gotten the best of me, and he said it had destroyed my marriage. It had destroyed my family. It had destroyed my career. Everything I was about to give up. But somebody invited me to church, and it was that church in particular, one Sunday, and I came, and I gave my life to Jesus. I accepted him as my Lord and Savior, and he set me free. Not only gave me a place in eternity in heaven, but he set me free from alcoholism. And he said, today, my marriage has been restored. My family has been restored. And God has given me an amazing career. And he said, I can't help but when I start thinking about Jesus, I can't help but start dancing and start worshiping him because of all that he has done for me. He who is forgiven much loves much. You know, I understand there are people in this church, they come from backgrounds like mine, and we were taught that it was irreverent to clap and to shout. But, you know, King David said, oh, clap your hands, ye nations. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. In fact, King David said, lift your hands to the Lord. And he said, you know, there are times in the New Testament, it goes on, men, you ought to be praying everywhere. Men, you ought to be lifting holy hands. And so the next time you come to church and you see people that are lifting their holy hands, are they putting it on? Or do they sincerely love Jesus from their heart? Do they really love Jesus? Who are we to judge? I mean, I understand there are friends that I have here in the congregation, and I know Diane won't mind me picking on her. But, you know, she grew up in a church that was just like mine. But, you know, she, she worships more quiet. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, she was taught the same things I was. And so, you know, but you turn her loose in her own home and she gets the cowbell out. She goes, she cuts loose and dancing and praising because she loves Jesus. And that's what High Point has to offer you is that we are a group of people that love Jesus and love each other. And we are building a stronger relationship with Jesus and with each other. And that's what we're all about is building a stronger future in our relationship with Jesus and with one another. I don't know if Diane really cuts loose and uses a cowbell, but I've been told she's going to use a cowbell sometime. I come up on stage. (laughs) Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God till salvation for everyone who believes. It's the power of our salvation. Have you received that love today? That agape love. I'll close with this story. A number of years ago, there was a former prostitute who was engaged to a pastor's son. To make a long story short, the elders of the church called in the pastor and said, Pastor, this is not good. She's got a bad reputation. 
and we have built an amazing church. You've got a great reputation, Pastor. You've got to stop this. And the pastor right there and then had just about enough. And he stood up and he looked and he said these words. He said, let me make sure I understand this. Is this about the reputation of the church or is this whether the blood of Jesus is effective or not? The Bible says that we have been forgiven, that our sins are washed as far as the west is the east, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Well, what if I make a mistake? What if I sin? God looks at you the same way that he looks at Jesus Christ. He loves you. And we are in a process of what we call sanctification, that we may not be where we want to be yet, church, but we're not where we once were. We may stand here, and this is where we look back in history and say, thank God I'm not where I once was. And your growth will give you a better day today knowing that you're heading in the right direction, knowing that you're going to reach your God-given dreams, create history, and become world changers. As you aim for the sun, the Son of God, you will land with the stars. If you receive this, will you say amen? Do you bow your head and close your eyes? Whether you were born and raised in a Christian family or not, we have a place for you. Your life matters to us and to Jesus. You are important. You are the reason why Jesus came. You are the reason why he hung on the cross. Is because he loves you. So I ask with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never made that decision to receive Jesus his amazing love into your life. Today, it would be my honor and my privilege to introduce you to my very best friend, and his name is Jesus. You might be saying, Pastor, I've accepted Jesus. I've received him into my life, but I know deep down in my heart, I'm not committed like I could be or should be. I'm not living the way that I could be or should be, and today I really want to get my life back on course with him. On either occasion, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whether you're that sheep that went astray, there's going to be rejoicing today. Whether you're kind of like that coin that's been lost, Jesus is going to do everything he can to find you. And today is an opportunity for you to receive him into your life. To walk out of this church knowing that for the rest of eternity, you've got a home called heaven. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Jesus. So whether it's a first-time decision to receive Jesus Christ or you need to recommit your heart to the Lord, your heart's not at peace with God. You don't know for sure if you died, if you go to heaven today, it would be my honor to lead you back to the throne room of grace. Whether it's a first-time decision or a recommitment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you're saying, Pastor, pray for me, I need to receive Jesus or I need to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus. All over this auditorium right now, would you slip up your hands just saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to receive Jesus Christ or I want to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus. Just slip your hand up high and then you can put it right back down. I appreciate that honesty. I know it takes courage. Thank you so much. Others? You're saying, Pastor, pray for me too. I want to receive Jesus or I want to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus just a moment longer anyone else. Okay, let's do this. Let's take a moment and pray with those that are making that quality choice and that decision. I have a few in my heart that I have a feeling that didn't raise their hand and I don't want anybody to slip out of this prayer. Those that are joining us online, I want you to pray this prayer out loud as well. We're gonna call on the name of the Lord together as a church. We're gonna pray with you and Jesus is gonna hear your prayer. Pray this after me with you. Heavenly Father, Forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, come into my heart 
I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. I commit my life to you now and forever. Holy Spirit, help me to live for Jesus. Fill me with your power and with your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Congratulations. Just give them a big hand clap. Let them know how much you love them and appreciate them.